Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. We spoke, uh, I spoke, two weeks ago. Anybody remember? On King Asa. One of my favorite stories in Scripture. And it is a, about a king, Asa by name, who ruled well. He ruled very, very well. But he did not finish well. He started his reign with ten years of peace. Uh, very peaceful years, and they were productive years where he uh, uh, cleansed the land, did some uh, military improvements. And then, uh, in his first challenge, he trusted God as he faced an army that was twice the size of his own army. And then, after encouragement from the prophet Azariah, launched a series of reforms that led the people to recommit themselves to God, to their covenant. And then, uh, after 25 years of peace and prosperity and trusting God and enjoying his protection and blessing, another army came against him, this time the northern king of Israel, Uh, They moved to attack Judah, and rather than trust God that time, he enters into a treaty with the Syrians, whom God had already designated as an enemy of Judah. And this time, this is all quick review, then the prophet Hanani came and confronted him and told him that he had done foolishly, and that from now on you shall have wars. And one of the main points of that message was that It's important, again, I think I did mention this last week, that God didn't tell him from now on you're going to lose wars, just that you would have wars. And uh, he just, it seemed apparent that Asa needed a reminder, perhaps more than once every 25 years, that he needed to be trusting in God. So God was going to do some things, allow some things to happen that would keep Asa dependent upon him. But what's really sad is Asa's unfortunate reaction. He got mad, he pouted, he threw the prophet in jail and began to oppress the people. He didn't like the news that now he was going to have to look out for wars again, fight these wars, trust God in these wars. Uh, Never should have been threatened or bothered by the possibility that he would lose these wars because that's not what the prophecy was about. But two years before he died, he became diseased in his feet. Again, possibly gangrene. Scripture just tells us that the malady was severe and that in his disease he did not seek the Lord. He sought physicians, but he did not seek the Lord, and he died. And we will circle back around to that. But right now I want to look at Asa's son, Jehoshaphat. Second Chronicles 17 starts by telling us that Jehoshaphat strengthened or fortified Judah. Just some general, again, some general military improvements. And also that he walked in the ways of King David. He did not participate in idol worship. And he worked to eliminate it in all of Judah. His heart took delight in the Lord. In verses 7 to 9 in 2 Chronicles 17, talk about something we don't see a lot of. In, uh, King Jehoshaphat sent his leaders along with Levites and priests to, uh, all through, throughout Judah, and we read in verse 9, so they taught in Judah and had the book of the, Lord, a book of the law of the Lord with them. Then they went throughout all the cities of Judah and taught 
the people. Now you have to remember, they didn't have Bibles in their homes back then. It wasn't like everybody had two or three copies of the law laying around their homes. Uh, This was very much a culture steeped in what is known as the oral tradition. They heard, they had trained memories, they would repeat, they would recite so they they could remember these things. But they didn't have a copy, every every home didn't have a copy of the law and the prophets. They they simply, uh, they had, under the monarchy, that's why it's so important that the king, according to Deuteronomy, long before the monarchy, each king was supposed to get a copy of the law, and write by hand his own copy of the law so that he would have it, he would have it in his heart, and then rule from that position. And too many of them didn't do that. But uh, I think it's also important that Jehoshaphat took that to heart and found it important also to proclaim that, to proclaim the law, to proclaim the truth uh, in a fresh way to all the people of Judah. He was so impacted at some point in his copying his own copy of the law that he said we've got to get the priests the teachers the levites out there and make sure the country knows this super important because as king he could have just said do this and if the people dared ask why he say because i'm king i say so instead he sends the teachers out and explains to them this is why these uh, these dictates from the king are important This is why God backs them, and this is why you disobey at your peril. Now, look what happened in verse 10. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah, so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute, and the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 7, rams and 7,700 male goats. That's more than you have, Trinity. There's something really cool here because we remember when we read about Asa's reform, there were people who were drawn to God, whose hearts were toward God. And when they saw the goodness of God and the blessing of God on Judah, they left their countries, they, you know, the, the, the border countries and stuff, Ephraim and Manasseh and so on, came and joined Judah. And people from all, some, some people from all the tribes came. They defected, more or less, from the northern kingdom to the southern kingdom. In this case, we see the other side of it. You had people who were essentially enemies of God, but they dared not attack Judah. They dared not attack Jehoshaphat because they could see that the fear of the Lord was on them, And, frankly, along with teaching the people, he was, uh, this was peace through strength. It mentions a couple times the military fortifications and the strengthening he did of the uh, cities that were outside of Jerusalem. Not just Jerusalem, but all of Judah. So, uh, Judah prospered. There was no war. And in the interest of peace, because this is what Jehoshaphat's heart was. He wasn't making these military improvements so that he would fight. He was making these military improvements so that he wouldn't have to fight. And in the interest of peace, he went and uh, entered into a covenant of marriage with the daughter of King Ahab. Uh, This Ahab was the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. And most of you know, I think most of you know, that Ahab was a bad king. Ahab just sounds like a bad guy's name, doesn't it? Ahab was a bad king. 
And, but I've always found Ahab a fascinating character in the Bible. You see glimpses of brilliance. You see, uh, you see him as a capable and brave military leader. You see from time to time, you see hints of a softness toward God. His biggest mistake, I believe, was marrying the wrong woman. He married Jezebel, who was a truly wicked woman and held great influence over him and led him into making some bad decisions. Not, I'm not letting Ahab off the hook. I'm just saying there's some potential there that, uh, that I see and some potential that God says that he sees in one point, at least one point. Uh, but we'll save some of that stuff for another day. What you need to know is that God was opposed to King Ahab because of how he was ruling and leading Israel. So Jehoshaphat makes a visit to Samaria, the capital of the northern kingdom. And Ahab prepared a royal reception, a huge feast where he welcomed Jehoshaphat and his entourage. And during the feast, he asked Jehoshaphat if he would go to war with him against Ramoth-Gilead. Now, it doesn't matter a whole lot in terms, about, in terms of what we're talking about today. Ramoth-Gilead actually was, belonged to the kingdom of Israel. Uh, it, was a, it was one of the cities of refuge, a Levite city. And uh, it was about 40 miles from Jerusalem. And the attack was not against that city per se, but more than likely the Syrians had um, occupied that city. And at some point or another there was, there was a, a treaty or an end, uh, 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 ceasefire as it were. And the terms of the end of this battle or the end of this war were that they would leave Ramoth-Gilead. And they hadn't. So when they say they're attacking Ramoth-Gilead, they weren't attacking the city, they were attacking the Syrians who were still occupying the city. That's almost certainly true. All that to say that Jehoshaphat had a valid reason for desiring to join this battle against, uh, along with King Ahab to drive the Syrians out of Ramoth-Gilead. He had a case for going to war. So when, when, when Ahab asked him, will you join me? Jehoshaphat doesn't hesitate. He says... I am as you are, and my people are as your people. We will be with you in war. Okay, nice thing to say. They're buddies. He's making the peace, strengthening the treaty. Anybody see the mistake yet? Then he says to Ahab, please inquire for the word of the Lord today. So 400 professional prophets come out and start doing their dance. They're paraded out, and all of them are saying, yes, Go on, for surely the Lord will deliver them into your hand. And Jehoshaphat kind of rolls his eyes. Says, come on. Is there not a true prophet of the Lord that we can inquire of? And Ahab says, yeah, there's this one guy. His name's Micaiah, but I hate him. Because he only prophesies bad things about me. And Jehoshaphat says, don't talk like that. Go get him. Let's hear what he has to say. And he's probably thinking that in this case, since he, Jehoshaphat, is walking in the Lord's blessing, and he can certainly see the logic and the justification of going to war against Ramoth-Gilead, that Micaiah in this place, uh, in this instance, is going to come out and also prophesy positively. He's going to confirm, in this case, the words of these 400 prophets 
because he's not just prophesying to Ahab this time, but he's prophesying to the good king who has already promised to go to war. So Micaiah comes out, and the people who are bringing him out saying, just play along, don't spoil the day. Jehoshaphat's here, the kings are having a great feast, they're going to go out and do something great. Just say what everybody else is saying. So he does. What's the word of the Lord, Micaiah? And he says, yeah, go. The Lord shall surely deliver them into the king's hand. And then we read in 2 Chronicles chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. So the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Then he, Micaiah, said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? See? I told you. Guy doesn't like me. Now, as I read this, obviously, this should have been the point where Jehoshaphat backs out. I mean, King Ahab knows that Micaiah is putting him on the first time and says, you tell me what God told you. So he does, and then says, see, he hates me. Like, he, he can't win. But Jehoshaphat knows that Micaiah is speaking the word of the Lord. And he just told him, basically, if you go, you're going you're gonna to lose. But he had already committed himself, and you can't back out, not especially if you're the king. So... <laughs> But I see a really strong parallel here. There's a story back in Judges. We're not going to refer to it now. There's a whole, I did a whole sermon on this at least once where uh, all, uh, 11 of the tribes of Israel are going up against the Benjamites, okay, in Gibeah, I think. And they set up their army. They had a reason. They had a reason. not going to go into it. This horrible crime was committed in the land. And they were going to go up against the Benjamites, and they set up their army. They get, they get their commanders in place. They get their soldiers in place. And then they seek the Lord and say, who shall lead us into battle? And God says, send Judah first. And off they go into battle, and they suffer a terrible defeat. Thousands of them die, and they have to retreat. And then they lick their wounds, and they set themselves up in battle array again. They get ready to attack, and this time they ask God, shall we again attack our brothers? And God says, go. And they did. And they lost again. Terrible defeat. The third time, they removed themselves completely from the field of battle. And all the people seek the Lord and say, shall we go up a third time? And this time God says, go, for I will surely deliver them into your hand. There was something huge. It's like, well, why isn't that just kind of, I mean, they did ask permission the first time. They said who should go first, and maybe that was being a little presumptuous. But the second time, they at least asked if they should go. But you see, they had already positioned themselves to go. They'd made up their mind. They're just looking for God's approval. They should have sought God about whether to go first. This is what David did. Was it the Amalekites that ran off with all their stuff and their families and the people that were with David were distraught and they're like oh we're, let's just kill David 
This is all David's fault. Everything rests on the leader, and David doesn't rally the troops. He doesn't go off on his own. He goes straight to God and says, shall I pursue them? He knew he could. He was a great warrior, great commander, great leader. And God said, pursue them, for you shall surely overtake them and recover all. And they did. But he didn't get everybody in in place first. Jehoshaphat committed himself, committed his army, and then sought the Lord. And he's a good king. It was just a mistake. So, uh, Ahab had to have been a persuasive guy. (laughs) Because even after this prophecy, which again, Jehoshaphat kind of trapped himself into going anyway, but not only does Jehoshaphat, or, or does Ahab, convince Jehoshaphat to continue to join him, but says, I got an idea. Tell me what you think of this strategy. You dress up as me. You wear all your kingly garb out there. I'm going to dress up like a common soldier so nobody knows I'm the king. Does that sound good to you? And for some reason, this sounded good to Jehoshaphat. (laughs) Here goes Ahab, uh, dressed up like, not not an infantryman, but a charioteer, but with none of his his, uh, kingly regalia, and Jehoshaphat goes out there, looks like the king. And so uh, the enemy, they say, forget everybody else. Your whole goal is to kill the king. There he is, and they all point at Jehoshaphat, and all the arrows and spears and everything else come flying at him, and Jehoshaphat realizes, oh, you ever play bombardment in, uh, in uh, grade, uh, junior high, high school, whatever? I don't know. There's a twist on the game that I'm not sure everybody's played, but you probably have. You could uh, designate to the coach, or in this case the PE teacher, one person on the other side, that if you got them out, the game was over. And each team would do this. And so it was kind of fun. Everybody runs up against the balls. And then you immediately see everything zeroing in on one person. And then just like, oh, protect this guy. This is the one guy we can't let get out. And it's, it's like, it's fun to see because every now and then somebody's out there so excited, they don't realize that everything's coming at them. That you're the guy, you're the guy. And suddenly this, this is how I see Jehoshaphat. Oh, no. This is why, this is why Ahab wanted me dressed like this. All the, everything's coming at me. So Jehoshaphat goes, Help! He cries out to God, and God heard him and delivered him. Very understated, because it doesn't give us a play-by-play. doesn't tell us anything other than God heard him and delivered him. Meanwhile, Jehoshaphat, nobody knows who he is still, and some archer just randomly shoots an arrow. And where does that arrow land? In between the joints of Jehoshaphat's armor. And he says, take me out of the battle, for I'm sorely wounded. He hangs on till evening, and he dies. God was against Jehoshaphat, or not Jehoshaphat, Ahab, 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 all right? It, it, it pierces the joint between Ahab's armor and kills him, and Jehoshaphat goes home. Now, Jehoshaphat goes home, and he is met by Jehu. Jehu's father was Hanani, the one who had confronted Asa and wound up in prison. And Let's read it, Second Chronicles 19, beginning in verse 2. And Jehu, the son of Hanani the seer, went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, Should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Therefore, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. Nevertheless, good things are found in you, in that you have removed the wooden images from the land and have prepared your heart to seek God. Now you can read on to see how Jehoshaphat 
responded to this correction. He had been, this is, and this is the heart of the message, the humility of Jehoshaphat. He had been a good king. He'd been a great king. But he does one thing wrong, and the prophet comes out and says, the wrath of the Lord is upon you. And I guess there's something in most people, I certainly have seen it in myself, where it's like, haven't I earned a little bit of slack here? You know? Can you take into account all the good I've done for you? Doesn't this sort of cancel this out by, by far? But that's not how it works with God's law, is it? He does acknowledge, hey, you've done some good stuff. I do see good in you. But you really blew it here, therefore what? The wrath of the Lord is upon you. He doesn't say the wrath of the Lord is upon you, but there's good in you, so the wrath of the Lord is not upon you. I do see the good in you, but the wrath of the Lord is on you because you chose to help the people that are opposed to God. It's a hateful thing to do to your own people. But what he does is he goes out. Here's his response. He goes out and he appoints judges out into the hinterlands. Again, not just uh, Jerusalem. But he goes out there with a renewed effort to bring people back to God. And in Jerusalem, he takes an active role in appointing the specific Levites uh, and, and priests to, pre to preside over civil disputes. He wants all of these, it's, read it, read it. It's, it's very much worth reading his whole story. And it's, again, it's just a couple, three chapters where he, woo, bless you. Or as they would say back in the 70s, I cast that sneezing demon out of you in Jesus' name. <laughs> he would, he stressed the instruction he gives the priests and the Levites, go out there, you listen to these cases and you judge them and you don't be moved with emotion or with how much you like these people, you judge everything by the word of God. You judge rightly, you judge fairly. This is where his passion is. This is his response to being corrected and being rebuked by the prophet. And do we see a manifestation of this wrath of God? I believe we do in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 1. It happened after this, that the people of Moab with the people of Ammon and others with them besides the Ammonites came to battle against Jehoshaphat. Suddenly all these people who we just read about wouldn't dare make war against Judah and Jehoshaphat band together and attack. And Jehoshaphat has recently been told the wrath of God is upon him. So what does he do? Well, no sense fighting. God did tell me the wrath of, of, that his wrath was upon me. And sure enough, here it comes in the form of the Ammonites and these others, Moabites. So what does he do? Verse 3, still in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 3. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So Judah gathered together to ask help from the Lord and from all the cities of Judah they came to seek the Lord. So far, this is a pretty good response, isn't it? Let's read on. This is the longest passage I'll read today, beginning in verse 5. 
Then Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven and do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might so that no one is able to withstand you? Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend forever? And they dwell in it and have built you a sanctuary in it for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, sword, judgment, pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this temple and in your presence, for your name is in this temple, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear us and save. And now here are the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and did not destroy them. Here they are, rewarding us by coming to throw us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that is coming against us, nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are upon you. There is so much here that I could, I could turn this into a long sermon after all. How much time do we have? No, we're going to move on. But let me point out a couple things. Jehoshaphat, the good king, did not say, Lord, I know you're mad at me, but remember how good a king I've been and grant me this victory. What was everything that Jehoshaphat was praying based on? What you told us, God. You told us that you were giving us this land. You told us not to kick certain people out of there not, or not to attack certain people, and we obeyed you, and it was to their blessing. This is what they are doing. Now they're trying to kick us out of the land that you gave us. You're the one that put your name on us. You're the one that put your name on this land, and, we put, and you put your name on this temple. Will you not judge them for your sake? The word, the promise, the covenant, that is what faith is based on. Remember that Jehoshaphat still had a large and well-equipped army. He was in position to counterattack if he wanted to, but before he moved even one element, one garrison of troops, he sought the Lord. He didn't put his army in battle array before the enemy and then ask for help. He sought direction from God as to whether he should go to war at all. Then the prophet Jehaziel came and said, Don't be afraid. The battle is not yours, but God's. Go down against them, but you will not have to fight. Just get in good position to watch what God is going to do to them. In verse 19, it says this, Then the Levites of the children of the Kohathites, and of the children of the Kohathites, sorry, the Levites of the children of the Kohathites, and of the children of the Kohathites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with voices loud and high. Now this is not the scene. We know what's going to happen. It's what Erica referred to. Praise team went out in front of the army to meet them. But that's not what happened here. This is just the prophetic answer to Jehoshaphat's prayer. There is an enemy coming. A band of enemies who are attacking them. Jehoshaphat says, will you judge them, Lord? Will you handle this? Because we don't know what to do. We're looking straight to you. And the prophet's answer is not, go, for you shall surely defeat them. He's saying, this battle isn't even yours. I want you to send your army out, but bring popcorn, because all they're going to do is watch. 
God's going to fight this battle. And what's the people's response? Well, let's go see if that happens. No, they start praising the Lord. And I picture this victory dance, this victory shout. They are rejoicing and praising God as if it's already done. Just because of the word of the Lord. And then there's the famous moment, beginning in verse 20. So they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and you inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, and you shall be established. Believe his prophets, and you shall prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who should sing to the Lord and who should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and were saying, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endures forever. Now when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come out against Judah, and they were defeated. For the people of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir to utterly kill and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So when Judah came to a place overlooking the wilderness, they looked toward the multitude, and there were their dead bodies, fallen on the earth, not one had escaped. They collected the spoil and they blessed the Lord. And in verse 29, and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. This is a great story. It's a great account of history is what it is. And very exciting. What is the takeaway for us? Of course, trust the Lord. The battle belongs to the Lord. And when we have a word from God, let's praise him for that word. Let's don't wait until we see the manifestation. But I also want to draw your attention back to how critical Jehoshaphat's response to the correction of the Lord was versus Asa. Because you remember that Asa was rebuked for something very similar. It, it, it manifested itself in a little bit different ways, but in Asa's case, he took matters into his own hands. It's probably worth noting that okay, Jehoshaphat did. He didn't consult the Lord. He joined his army to Ahab, but then he consulted the Lord. Asa looks like he just panicked, forgot how strong God was, and didn't consult the Lord at all. He just enters into this treaty with Syria. But they were still rebuked by the prophet, by God, through these prophets, for similar reasons, taking matters in their own hands. And Jehoshaphat kept doing what is right. The wrath of the Lord was upon him. The wrath of the Lord was manifest in these armies coming out to meet him. But he kept doing what was right. Why? Because he was happy with the word of the prophet? No, because God is still God. And God is always right. His law is perfect, and his promises are still promises. And when the battle came, which is the only thing I can see as a possible manifestation of the wrath of God, he continued to praise and seek God, and a great victory was the result. Asa, what was his response? He turned. He pouted. And when he got sick, even when he got sick, refused to seek God. And again, go back and read it for yourself. The language strongly indicates that he could have and should have 
sought God for healing and would have been healed if he had only humbled himself, if his heart had been more like his son's. But what, what was the end? He died. He became diseased in his feet. His malady was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord but physicians. And again, we talked about this last week, but his sin was not seeking the physicians. His sin was not seeking the Lord first. First. I don't know if, how clear I made that last week, but again, it's like, well, I'm going to take my vitamins, I'm going to see the doctor, I'm going to get this treatment, that treatment, follow all these recommendations and do everything, and then I'll go to the Lord and say, all right, I've done everything I can and it's not working. Can you do something, God? That's backwards. Seek God first. That's like getting your army all settled and in battle array, or maybe even in the middle of the fight, and say, I'm here, Lord, you coming with me? Find out what God wants you to do first. Jehoshaphat was instructed to go against these armies with his own. It just turned out they didn't have to fight. Remember, go to God first. Find the promise. Stand on the promise. Seek the Lord for direction and always, always, always praise him. I want to show you one last scripture. This is in, uh, you don't need to turn to it yet. I want you to listen to me first. In Habakkuk, it opens with Habakkuk just kind of observing. He's the man on the watchtower, and he's observing everything that is happening that's bad. Here's an enemy coming. Here's an enemy in power. Uh, Israel, Judah uh, are not in the position that God had promised they, they would have been in. They're under a curse. They're under judgment. And everything in Habakkuk says, this is wrong. This is not how it should be. This is unjust. Very similar in some ways to Job's complaint complaints but then we see in chapter 2 verse 1 after he makes his complaint after he basically makes his charge to God he says this I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart and watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected in other words even though he is sharing something from the heart that bothers him even though he feels justified in the charges he's leveling at God, he knows at the end of the day who's right and who's wrong. God's God and not me. I just want to hear his answer. So I'm interested to hear what God says. I'm also interested to hear what I will answer when I am corrected. In other words, I know God's going to straighten me out. I wonder how I'm going to react when he does. Asa did it one way. Didn't turn out so well. Jehoshaphat did it another way turned out great is there maybe a specific application to this and praise and worship team you can be coming up here we've got this election coming up and it is a maybe maybe every every election maybe every election is more important than the previous one but how many times have you seen it? This election is about the heart and soul of America. I don't believe I have ever witnessed, I don't, not a matter of don't believe, this country has never been more polarized at election time than it is this time around. And I know people feel very, very strongly. And again, I have a pretty good idea uh, if I, you know, if, I, if I had to guess, I think I would guess right 
in terms of uh, more or less within, uh, within a few percentage points of how this church would vote as a block. Doesn't matter, though. What I want you to do is take a step back. Not, I believe this, this is important, this is important, this is important, therefore, Lord, get behind me. But just be humble enough to say, Lord, how would you have me to vote? I'll say this, I, made a, I, I, I preached a little more frequently in the days leading up to the last election. I've chosen not to for, uh, for reasons I won't go into right now, this time around. But let me just say very clearly, and, and you've, I'm sure everybody's heard this, I just want to go on record as saying it too. It really, you really owe it to yourself to investigate the platform of, of these two men. I'm not saying their character is not important. Character is important. But that's one of the values, that, one of the things that I think will emerge. There's too much writing on this to blow it off, and I know many of you voted already. Read those articles I sent you. It really separates the issues between character and platform. Character and, uh, and mandates and things like that need to find out what's writing on this and you vote for what the platform is because this is what the promises are. It's not about, never mind. I, I, there's, there's, there's argument, legitimate argument about what a pastor is allowed to say at times like this and I would never dream, of, well I would dream, but I wouldn't do it. I would never tell you how to vote. We can have these private conversations, but I'm not going to say from the pulpit this is what you should do or who you should vote for. I am saying pray and look at what you're voting for beyond just who you're voting for. Okay, there's, there's, there's a lot going on here. This was life or death for the nation of, of Israel, for Judah at this moment. This, can you imagine the panic? We really can't, not here in America. I'm not saying, there are people in here who've been to war, but we, have we ever really felt the existential crisis of an enemy army marching toward us? We haven't. And they did. And they trusted God. And while that army was still on the way, they were praising the Lord from their hearts, all the people, thanking God because he had given them an answer. No matter what happens Tuesday, praise the name of the Lord our God. His kingdom is forever. Amen. This is what I want to, you stand up with me now. All the uncertainty. You've probably seen what I've seen. You've read what I've read. Think about if this person wins, here's what's going to happen. If this person wins, here's what's going to happen. Here's going to be the immediate results, the immediate reaction to the election. If this person wins, here's going to be the long-term results if this person wins, etc., etc. It is so scary if you don't know God. I feel very strongly, and I will be much happier, I believe, based on one outcome versus another. But I'm not going to let it determine my mission, my identity, or anything else. Or ultimately my happiness, certainly not my joy. Why? Because I am first and foremost a subject of the kingdom of God. In fact, I'm part of the royal family. Where I am right now is important to me, but I do not love this more than I love that. I am concerned about America.
and I love America. So I pray for America and I vote my conscience as, as, as closely as I can to, to what, what God has laid on my heart. But ultimately, my allegiance is to the kingdom of God. Therefore, I can ultimately rejoice because that kingdom has no end. Do you have that comfort? It isn't just about this election. It's about eternity. Have you ever personally committed your life to Jesus Christ? That is the only way of salvation. Tying it in with this message, when, when the prophet, what was the last dude's name? Jehu came and said, the wrath of God is upon you because of what you did. God's like, I still love you. I still see good in you. You blew it, however, so the, my wrath is upon you. You know what's really great about the kingdom of God in Jesus Christ? Is we blow it too. Does God's wrath still fall upon sin? Bet it does. Who does it fall on in our case? Jesus. That's what the cross was all about. You mean every time I blow it, even if God still loves me, I'm going to have to suffer his wrath? No. His wrath fell on Jesus Christ. And if you are in him, you're covered. Doesn't mean you can do whatever you want. It means we thank God from the bottom of our hearts that he has already borne God's wrath for us. Do you want to be under that kind of covering? Do you want to be an inheritor of that kind of salvation? All you have to do is agree. Jesus Christ died for me. That he is God the Son. He died for me and God raised him from the dead. Do you want to make that public confession today? Say, Scott, that's me. I want to be in the kingdom of God. I want to be aligned with that kingdom. And that king, more than any president, more than any nation. Anybody want to make that decision today? I right, praise the Lord. I'm going to pray. And uh, in fact, let's, uh, I'm going to combine this prayer and the offering prayer then you can be then you can be seated so if you uh before i pray uh raise your hand if you need an envelope and uh i'll tell you uh, after you sit down you can be making your checks out to living word family church or lwfc heavenly father thank you for your word thank you for uh, recording the lives and the rule and the ministry of these men of the Old Testament. And uh, thank you for your faithfulness. Help us to take these lessons to heart. Help us, Lord, shine the light of your word into our hearts to show us where we have responded improperly to your correction. Soften our hearts and may our hearts be found to be humble hearts so that when we stop and see how we answer you when we're corrected, let us be like Jehoshaphat, not like Asa. Help us to turn, to repent, and to always seek you, even after we've blown it. Help us to always remember that there is forgiveness, there is mercy, there is deliverance in Christ Jesus, there is healing in Christ Jesus, there is salvation only in Christ Jesus. Help us to always lean on you. And Lord, when we see the promise, when we get the answer from your word, from your spirit, may we, found, may we be found to be rejoicing just as, just as if it were in the past. Help us to see your word and your promise as just as real as, as the things that we see. Help us to know that the victory has already been won even as the enemy still threatens. And help us to remember who our enemy is. 
Father, we also uh, thank you now for the opportunity to give into the work of your kingdom. We thank you for the excellent ministries you have connected us with. And we rejoice uh, in, in remembering that you are our provider, our abundant provider. Thank you that you give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And that you've promised to take what we give you terms of the tithe and the offering and multiply it back to us, Father, so that we can give again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook or Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.